Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll take you through media day, the first week of camp, then go in-depth about the three injuries with Jeff Stotts of nstreetclothes.com. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. We're back. The season is here, and I can tell you what, it's great to be back in person more than anything. That feels oh so sweet after, what, two, one and a half seasons over Zoom? Enough of that. It it was so good on Media Day one week ago to be there in person, to talk with the coaching staff, to see the players, to physically meet some of the players. I mean, Karis LeVert was traded or acquired mid-last season, and we still hadn't met him until this time. So that was a good time. But uh, thankfully, the era with everything over Zoom is, well, hopefully over. There is still some, and that's basically road games. But everything else, we're able to be there at practice, at shoot-arounds. At games, of course, that was allowed last year, but hopefully this year we'll be much closer. At Fan Jam, I'm expecting to be courtside, much like I was the last 10 years or so. That's a great feeling, and it means even better, more thorough coverage for yourself. Now, things got started one week ago at the St. Vincent Center, the team's $50 million practice facility. and It's amazing. That's been here for going on, what, five years? Started in 2017 is when that opened. And it's one of the best in the league, no doubt. And so that's something special that Rick Carlisle, his staff, and the players get to enjoy and less strict and less rules this year compared to this past year and a half, two years because of the COVID protocol, some of which are still in place, but most are gone. Now, things got started in a bizarre fashion one week ago as the franchise for some reason decided to hold a press conference 45 minutes before the unofficial start of this season, the Rick Carlisle era, us doing in-person interviews with a huge announcement that the Fieldhouse was renamed finally. They finally had that new naming rights partner that we've been tracking for, what, two over two years here. It's now Gainbridge Fieldhouse officially. I don't understand the timing. Maybe someone will let me know. But how about two days later? But even better, how about on Friday? How about all of last week? Um, I realized there was a lot of factors. They wanted to include the governor and mayor. I found a little bit over the top, but they did include them. They included uh, the CEO and such of Gamebridge, which was an obvious touch in what you're going to do there. But to do that on Monday on the start of training camp was just baffling to me. If you do that and hold that press conference two days earlier or the previous week or a couple weeks earlier, You're probably getting every news station to go live there and several articles to be written. Instead, look, the focus has to be on the team. That's what people want to read about. It's got a new name, great, but you're looking forward to reading about what this team is going to be like in this upcoming season. So that's where the focus is. Um, By the way, I was able to get into Gainbridge Fieldhouse over the weekend, and that was fun because it was the first 
fully ticketed event, if you will, allowed to full capacity at the arena. Remember last year at Pacer Games, it was capped off around 25%. I think they went a little bit over. But about 25% for games last season. Well, it was a Dan and Shea concert on Friday, and there were probably, I don't know, 13,000, 14,000 fans, lower level, or I should say the event level, the court level that you're familiar with, just packed with fans, and they had two couple of stages, and I was going to go to the act anyway, but while I was there, I, I snapped some photos and, and explored a little bit before enjoying myself to take in and see uh, a lot of the renovations, because remember, phase two of the $360 million in renovations were pushed this past four months, and, and they were working six days a week, big Hat off to the, the construction folks and, and everyone. And there's still a lot of work to be done here before the season. We're three weeks out from the start of the regular season, and there was stuff there that it looked like, you know, talk about the varsity club, still down to its bones, still needed to be built up. But the place is going to be magical uh, once it gets done. I continue to be told it's expected to be done in early 2023. So still another year and then some before the field house is complete. All right. Now let's get to basketball. And to start, we heard from Rick Carlisle. Then players, the key ones, basically the starters, came in one by one, followed by Kevin Pritchard. And a lot of things were talked about, of course. The leadership, um, I don't like to get into that too early into the season because I think it's mostly talk at the beginning of the year. I want to see for myself in preseason games, on the court, in regular season games. Give it a month or so because... Anyone can fake it here for a month. Let's see who, what captains are named and go from there. I was stunned how high so many were on Isaiah Jackson. Not that they felt so positively about him, but the leaps they went to talk about what he could do. I mean, Rick Carlisle talking about him having athleticism that is breathtaking and how he can defend the one through the four, and this guy is spectacular. I'm like, Look, all right, he's 19, didn't do a ton at Kentucky. He wasn't a lottery pick. But yes, he does have an absolutely bright future. But again, let's calm down. Let's see how this guy uh, plays out. And I just mostly felt bad for him because I hate, uh, especially for him, if you hype a player up too soon, then it's bound to be let down in some capacity. And fans might be expecting him to be in the rotation playing 30 minutes a game right away. No, that's not the case. There's a log jam, in, of course, in the front court. I'm not sure where Goga Pataze gets any kind of decent minutes, talking 15 or more, and that's all he needs at this point, just reps. He needs to play through mistakes and, and learn the offense. Remember, he's going on his fourth different coach in four years because it's a third year with the Pacers, and he was playing overseas before that. That's very difficult for a guy. Now, most of the players arrived two weeks before the season, and I thought that was a strong move by this group, wanting to work together and, and that was optional of course that was purely what they wanted to do get a, an hour or two of run in in the morning hang out then they could all be with their families and such afternoon evening uh, but for them to give up part of their offseason and come back early is notable now the last week uh, was when Karis Domantas and Miles return another key talking point on media day and really throughout the NBA was regarding the vaccination rate of the Pacers, of those players around the league. I think this is something that's going to solve itself, for the most part, around the league over the next several weeks. I mean, already, what, two days in, I think, from when Andrew Wiggins talked, he ended up getting the vaccination. And to keep it short and simple, this mostly affects 
three teams, the Warriors, the Knicks, and the Nets. And that's because the local mandates there say if you're on the home team, you are not vaccinated, you can't play or practice in that home market. So, for instance, Pacers, we heard from Kevin Pritchard. He said 95% of the team vaccinated. So one player is not. And that player is able to play in those markets as a visiting team guy. Just couldn't play in that home market. But it's something that's going to be a topic of discussion. But I do think that it will sort itself out. I think everyone kind of went overboard a little bit on the first day or two. And that storyline, unfortunately, really dominated media day across the league. All right, so practices. Those began on Tuesday. And by the way, please consider... Subscribing to FieldhouseFiles.com. I'm the only one there every single day. I'm writing daily, posting things on Instagram, on Twitter, and getting answers to the questions you have and plenty more that I have. I love it today. It actually made me feel good. Rick Carlisle, after I asked him a couple of things, he goes, Scott, where do you come up to these questions? And I go, look, that's what makes me the reporter I am. I'm curious by nature. I want to know everything to what he likes to do in his free time, to why he got into coaching, to why he called a specific play, and where he went to dinner as he was taking players to dinner uh, throughout the last couple of weeks. Like Chris Duarte was saying, he went to dinner twice with Rick Carlisle. All those different things make me who I am, and and I'm inquisitive, I'm curious, and so yes, of course I'm going to ask those type of things, and you guys stand to benefit because I will be writing about all kinds of things at fieldhousefiles.com. I think I've put up probably a story and a half on average per day over the last week. And by the way, right now, as a new season special, I'm offering 20% off. All right, so six practices in, no two-a-days. That, for one, surprised me a little bit. I was used to Frank Vogel and Nate McMillan holding three, sometimes four, two-a-day practices. Carlisle laughed at that. He goes, no, I simply just don't believe them. them, hasn't done them. For quite a while. So that was telling. Now, we did get bad news the second day last week, right after media day. And that was Karis LeVert was going to miss time. And and I know you're like, here we go again. Not even to the first practice. And not just any player, but a starter is sidelined. A little bit weird to me, the fact that Karis didn't mention it. Kevin, Rick, none of them mentioned it. What I later found out was Karras got it MRI'd his back and, and a CT scan as well, uh, which was mostly positive, nothing negative, I was told, came out of it that was concerning, only that it was going to take some time, and they're hopeful that it will only keep Karras out, I don't know, three weeks or so. That's basically through training camp in the preseason, which is unfortunate because right now is valuable time. I know these guys were together. Last year for, what, 40 games or so? But remember, he hasn't been with the team a year. He was not in training camp with the Pacers. He hasn't worked with some of these guys on a significant basis. Remember, like Miles Turner, Jeremy Lamb, two guys that are probably going to, that are going to start in the first preseason game. They missed the last month, month and a half of the season. So, yes, this is valuable time. And with a, a lower back injury like this, it's just kind of, painful and it has been there for a couple of months Karis said that's something that does concern you that it might pop up in two weeks after he returns a month later or be something consistently literally a pain in his backside but that's something 
will continue to follow. Now, the first striking thing to me at the first practice, I walk in. Uh, we're waiting outside the double doors to be let into practice. So far, we haven't been able to watch anything beyond three-point shooting, shooting drills at the end of practice. So no scrimmages, one-on-one work, true coaching. But all of a sudden, a bell rings. Yeah, then it rings again and again, probably about five or six times. It does daily five or six times while we're in there. Well, a new bell has been installed on the northeast corner of that Bobby Slick Leonard basketball court. And to end practice, if a player goes through and at their five spots around the arc nails at least 20 of 25 threes, he gets to race over to that corner and ring the bell and and celebrate a little bit. Some have had a great joy and and really enjoyed it much more than others. I'm thinking Kiefer Sykes. I'm thinking Dejan Giroux, Keelan Martin a couple times. Most of the veterans ring it and keep it moving, but those guys are having fun with it. I think more than anything, it plays a a psychological role. It reinforces, number one, that three-pointers are important on this team. It reinforces uh, the message that you can take them, and it also tests guys. It challenges guys. Can you be a guy that consistently rings the bell, so to speak? Domas, I think, just from memory, I know has hit it at least once, rang it once, maybe twice over six days that we've been in there. Miles has a couple of times. But it also, I could see being a detriment to a guy. Think if you're, I don't know, TJ McConnell and you're not hitting or ringing the bell at all. Would that be a detriment? I think it would be a little bit, but it gives you something to strive for. And I would say, based on what I'm seeing, I think they need to raise the number. I think last year at Dallas, and that's where Carlisle started it more than a decade ago. Terry Stotts took it. He was an assistant, by the way, for Carlisle. It was there in Portland when Terry Stotts went to the Portland Trailblazers. He had a bell installed, and one of Carlisle's assistants the last seven years, Jamal Mosley, got hired as the Magic head coach in the offseason. Well, guess what? On the Magic's practice court, now there's a bell. So it's not just one guy's crazy idea. It clearly is effective, or you wouldn't see at least a couple more of Carlisle's former assistants duplicating it and taking it to their new teams. Another telling point, I think, has been how Rick Carlisle is empowering his assistants. That was a big storyline this past year with Nate Bjorkren, where really didn't get to see the assistant coaches teach, train, those sorts of things. Now, again, we weren't at practice at all. We weren't allowed to be because of COVID. So all I could see was two hours before games or maybe after games when a, a coach or two would come back out onto the court. But that was it because during games, it was all Nate talking. In huddles, to guys one-on-one, you could tell he wanted to make sure you knew he was the man. Now, according to the players, that is not the case under Rick Carlisle. And he says Lloyd Pierce is his defensive coordinator, Ronald Norrid helping in that department. You're going to see Mike Weiner work especially with the offense. Jenny Busick will assist in that department. And going to touch on it in a story coming up, but I've been fascinated to see Jenny Busick work with players and her eye for the details and the little things. She's working with Domas in the post. She's working with TJ McConnell on his shot, trying to remove that hitch. Today, I don't know what about. Had a, I don't know, long, but that was probably 15-minute conversation with Jeremy Lamb after practice. She works with him a lot. I, I see her with him while he's shooting his free throws and such. And so um, she won't be at every road game. We'll be at most games. 
but is a trusted assistant, has been with Carlisle for quite a while, and, and the biggest thing from her so far has been the details. But it's been a good week of practice. The guys are ready to play someone else. Interesting that it's a very physical, tough, all-in type team in their first matchup, and that's coming up Tuesday, October 5th, in New York against the Knicks. You know Tibbs isn't going to take it lightly at all. And that was one thing, by the way, I asked Rick Carlisle was, do you head coaches talk about your general plan for the game? Meaning, are you going to play the starters five minutes? Not at all. 25 minutes. Um, Because it's actually, quite frankly, to bring it back local, it's what we saw from the Colts in the preseason. Frank Reich talked with one of the assistant coaches, and ultimately because of that, pulled back the reins and didn't play many of his starters in one of the preseason games because the other coach wasn't, and so why would he is essentially uh, the thought there. Now, the first two preseason games, both on the road there, will not be televised by Bally Sports Indiana. The final two preseason games, both at home, will be, and there's a full post about their broadcast plan on fieldhousefiles.com along with radio as well. Check that out for the full story, but Basically, everything you've come to expect is the same on that front. Same announcing teams, televising 81 of the 82 regular season games. The only one they're not, they're not allowed to, and that's because TNT has the exclusive rights to the game against the Miami Heat. Um, I do think it's notable and interesting Eddie Gill taking over, uh, serving as the radio analyst for home games. That was obviously the position filled by the late Slick Leonard, and we'll miss him, and I hope the Pacers honor him. Uh, in front of a full crowd this year. They had that um, celebration of his life that I was able to attend, and quite honestly, I was disappointed with that turnout, but I recognize COVID very much atop everyone's mind still all the way back in May. Things have gotten much better since then, but love to see that. Would love to see uh, the lady I wrote about in The Last Dance. Remember that diehard Pacer woman? Love to see her celebrated, and many more. Those are the things you miss not having true home games and such. And I'll be curious also to see what they'll do with the PA announcer. Reported, I don't know, a month ago probably, that they were opening up auditions for the PA announcer. Now, Sean Sullivan might be back, but they're opening it up because they were unable to do so last year after learning last minute that there would be a change. I thought he did a nice job and and probably really deserves to be back uh, unless someone just blows them away with a big booming voice during auditions. Now, uh, by the way, last thing on Bally Sports Indiana, unfortunately, the streaming frustrations, concerns, all still very present. I subscribe to YouTube TV, yet I can't watch Pacer games on Bally Sports Indiana. You can't if you have Hulu, uh, Sling, FUBU, all those main ones. The only streaming service that does carry BSI is DirecTV Stream. Now, if you have traditional cable, Xfinity, AT&T, Spectrum, no worries. You will still be able to get games. And I so look forward to seeing Banker's Life Fieldhouse filled to capacity once again. It's been since March of 2020. Pacers, Celtics, the game I keep going back to, March 10th. That's the last true Pacers home game where things were relatively normal. The next day, March 11th, Indiana, Nebraska there at the Fieldhouse, and things hadn't been the same sense now to to attend games and of course yeah wrote about this fieldhouse files again you don't have to be vaccinated nor do you have to show proof of a negative test unless you are in the sections near or around the bench and those fans they should expect to be hearing from your ticket rep soon 
couple more things before my interview with Jeff Stotts on the Pacers' injuries. First of all, Fan Jam set for October 10th, a week from now. That's on Sunday and does not conflict against a Colts game. They're on Monday night football. So come through the field house, free parking, and uh, that's your best opportunity to check out the team and see them in person probably for the first time for most of you and check out the renovations as well. And, of course, yes, it is all free. And last thing I can think of, it's been a whirlwind of a week. Good to be back, no doubt. It's put me in a great mood. Good to see so many people. And that is sad coaches. You'll see Rick Carlisle and his staff not in suits. Suits are gone, he said. I talked to him about it, asked him about it here on Monday. He said in a poll taken of coaches across the league, the majority simply preferred quarter zips and polos. So that's what they will continue to do. It's first started, you remember, back at the Orlando bubble, much more of a relaxed comfortable fit and I like it I'm all for that because that's what it should be uh, this is basketball it's not church it's nothing fancy not a, a business meeting here well you got to lock something in you need to be functional and these guys are moving a lot they're diagramming plays and again it's basketball I think it makes more sense and if anything too you talk about togetherness having a uniform look pun intended I, I'm good with it so that will be the case not just with the Pacers but every team as that uh, new uniform policy, let's say, is enacted here entering this 2021-22 season. All right, let's get into it. My interview with Jeff Stotts of InStreetClothes.com. If you have any questions about injuries, he's probably written about it or will be tweeting intel about it. We talked about Edmonds Achilles, TJ Warren's fractured foot, and then Karis LeVert, his back, and what that means for the Pacers. I hope you enjoy the interview. All right, as promised, I now welcome on the best in the business when it comes to injuries, and I honestly love talking to him, but I hate that I'm gone to him just two days into the season. Joined right now by Jeff Stotts, does excellent work, the go-to source for injuries at InStreetClothes.com and in, at InStreetClothes on Twitter, definitely a must-follow. And Jeff, let's get right to it. Uh, let's start with Edmund Sumner of the Pacers. Unfortunately, he was having a great summer, he said he was doing very well physically, mentally, was working out at the team facility, and all of a sudden, that left Achilles ruptures. Now, they've been more commonplace. You're seeing more players return from them a little earlier, but still, I believe that's, in, from the general injuries, is this still probably one of the most difficult, painful injuries that is more commonplace? Oh, absolutely. You know, we have these significant injuries that we always dread, and that's the ACL and the Achilles, and those are the two that not only are they significant, but their recovery time is significant. And they're soft tissue injuries as well. Broken legs, bones, things like that are gross to look at, but generally bone tissue heals nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> not always the case with soft tissue and ligaments and, and, and tendons and things like that. So, unfortunately, he's gone down this road with an ACL repair before, and now he gets to do an Achilles <laughs> repair and recovery as well. Have you tracked some of the guys that are more injured um, across the league? And ju- it just seems like some players, and yes, it does seem like some Pacers in particular, have gone down that road. And what I mean by that is, for instance, is Sumner. I mean, before he even was drafted by the Pacers, I believe he had an ACL surgery and two shoulder surgeries. Then he, last year, I think it was a fractured ring finger and maybe a, a wrist injury and then a sprained ankle. And it just, and, and maybe it's more the guys that are smaller, like a Karis LeVert, like an Edmund Sumner, but maybe I'm connecting dots, but it, it does seem like there's something there. Well, the thing is, 
you don't like multiple lower extremity strains. We always kind of imagine the body as a one big kinetic chain. And so if you imagine a, a chain, like a, a metal chain, each link connects to one another. If one of the links in that chain is weakened, yeah. the whole chain itself is going to be weakened. And so we see that a lot with guys in lower extremity issues. If they tend to reoccur on the same side, that is problematic. Things like a broken hand, that is unlucky. <laughs> you can't really predict that. There's not a lot of preventative care you can do for that. And you just get a little bit unlucky there. Say, same with some of the shoulder injuries, especially if it's like a contact injury where someone you know collides and you dislocate your shoulder. But, but some of these other underlying issues like the foot injuries, the, the knee injuries, if they have a history and other red flags along that kinetic chain, there might be, they may be predisposed to uh, an injury more likely to occur. And I'm sure you probably take phone calls about that type of stuff, especially during the draft. That's what these teams are trying to survey. You know, is that a random one-off injury? Or is this something that maybe we have to red flag him come the draft, no matter how good they are? Yeah, exactly. You know, every player, no matter who they are, carries a degree of inherent injury risk. You just want to mitigate that risk. And are there things that you can do collectively as a medical staff, as a team, to help reduce that risk? The Pacers have one of the best staffs in the NBA, very good at catching it. There's just been a couple of unlucky incidences in recent seasons, like Sumner, um, that have, have really made that problematic and difficult to assess. Jeff, you hate to speculate on timeline. Pacers, uh, and really all teams, I think, are being more cautious about it. And so we're hearing more about out indefinitely, that type of thing. And I know uh, indie sports fans kind of laughed a little bit recently when the Colts announced that Carson Wentz, after a very minor foot surgery, would be 5 to 12 weeks. Well, it was five or less than that. He was ready for week one. Nonetheless, you're looking, I think nine months would be the end of the season next year. That, in my my opinion, would be a force probably for Edmund Sumner. He's going to a contract year. So am I right in saying, with this injury just in general, very unlikely that Edmund will suit up this year? Very, very unlikely. And part of that, it might be by design. Uh, we're seeing a very famous, very good example of what a prolonged recovery can be in Kevin Durant. You know, he came off this Achilles, and then due to the bubble and the prolonged season, due to the pandemic, you have a guy receive a lot more time off and he came back at a high level. So it might be advantageous for him to wait a little bit longer than necessarily rush the recovery like we saw in some cases earlier on, like a guy like Wesley Matthews or Kobe Bryant, even who came back and struggled initially uh, following that injury. Next guy I want to hit on is a guy that has been away from basketball since January 5th when he had surgery. Now, this one's a little bit more unique, uh, a little bit difficult to describe, Jeff, but it's TJ Warren. It's the same injury he had back in 2016, but to his other foot. Then it was his right foot. Now it's his left foot. What they described as um, the navicular bone in the middle of, left, of his left foot and what we were told here this week was the biggest issue has been blood flow. Why would that be for TJ Warren? So we're talking about a bone. It's boat-shaped. That's where it gets its name, navicular, in the tarsals mid midfoot. Okay. The problem here is the blood supply to certain areas of the bone is just not very good. It's it's compounded if fractures that cuts off that blood supply. So with less blood available, the sl the healing process goes much much slower. Okay. That's why surgery is often required. They have to stabilize that bone to make sure there's actually a union occurring. Uh, and then you just have to wait till the bone heals, and that can take time. I previously said bone tissue does heal nicely, but it, it often <laughs> requires 
a decent amount of time. And so whatever they're seeing on the scans shows them that the healing is not quite where they want it to be to let him start to load that bone under high impact for basketball. So they're going to continue to exhibit patience and hope that he progresses over the next couple weeks. So is it simply time or is this something maybe through rehab or strengthening bands or treatment that you can really do anything? Uh, you can do things around the foot to help, but it's it's time is still the best treatment option for these kinds of areas because okay. we're talking about bone tissue trying to heal. And you can do certain things. Some some areas you can do bone stimulation, growth, you know, um, but it's still, you know, t- like I said, time's the best medicine. He's in a boot right now. How would that help? So that's that's going to limit the amount of weight he puts on in, on his leg and through his foot when he's ambulating. So he's walking around. It's a lot easier than crutches, and uh, you're, again, you're reducing the amount of stress put on and through the area. Gotcha. Just kind of easing it in, easing the tension perhaps a little bit. I know Edmund Sumner went to Dr. Martin O'Malley. I believe T.J. Warren did as well. He's one of the best known um, that there is. Um, and, the, and with T.J. Warren... Right now, they're kind of just in a, a play-it-by-ear mode, so we'll see with him. The last one, Jeff, I wanted to hit on was the most recent one, and that's with Karis LeVert, uh, back soreness. Woju's stress fracture, team has not officially called it that just yet. Nonetheless, the team said he got an MRI, then a CT scan, which, according to Rick Carlisle, was better because for this, it showed more of the bone structure. What would they be looking at, and what type of injury and concern should this be for Karis and the team? So, so you're looking at where is there a potential stress fracture? And it, it can happen in a couple of different areas of the vertebrae. The most common is to an area uh, that, that helps and is located near the facet joint. So the facets are how the vertebrae kind of piggyback on one another. And it's called the pars. We actually call like this injury a pars fracture. Okay. And if, if that's what it is, and, and that's a stretch fracture to that area. Now, this happens in basketball. We've seen it. It's called a spondylolysis. We've seen it with guys. Uh, Jody Meeks, I believe, had one. Uh, Nash had one. Uh, Steve Nash had one. That was probably the most infamous one that we've had in basketball. Uh, but we've had a couple of Andre Drummond, I believe, also had one. We see it a lot more common in bigger guys, but it has happened in smaller guys. And the, what we don't want to happen is for that fracture to occur and then there to be any slippage of the vertebrae, which could potentially impact the disc. Uh, that's what Nash had. Nash, Nash ended up okay. having some slippage, which involved some nerve issues for him. Doesn't sound like they're currently worried about that with Levert based on what we've heard. So it might just be, it may not even be necessarily a stress fracture, but more like a stress reaction, which is a precursor to a stress fracture. So maybe they're seeing a hot spot on, on the CT scan. And they're like, oh, I don't really like that. Let's look at that to calm down. Because for a stress-related injury, the best way to treat it is to stop the activity that is causing that to develop. It lets your body naturally catch back up because our bones are constantly being remodeled to the activity that we do. Um, whatever your job is, your body probably <laughs> changed a little bit based on what it is. And your skeleton <laughs> changes accordingly. Um, so basketball players tend to have certain areas that are more built up with bone. And sometimes that happens in the spine. And if you're, you're breaking that down, your body can't keep up with that remodeling, you get what we call a stress fracture. So, so really what we're looking at here is letting the body catch back up, let that bone tissue fill back in, and then finding out if there's an underlying causes that led to the development of that stress fracture. I'm sure they'll assess his functional movement, see if there's anything that they can catch and address while he's waiting and recovering from, from the injury. 
Um, but, but right now, not overly cause for concern, but it's definitely worth monitoring moving forward. And that last point is exactly kind of the, the notion expressed. By Karras himself yesterday, I give him credit, he didn't practice, therefore he would not be required to talk. He described it as slight discomfort, but what was notable was he was like, yeah, I kind of haven't been feeling right for the last couple of months. So it has been something that has, let's say, irritated him uh, here recently. So now all he's doing, according to him, was uh, shooting. We saw him out on the court passing a little bit and then also trying to get his keep his heart rate up so he's doing some, some work in the pool probably that wouldn't have too much negative impact on that back. Yeah, and that's a great course of treatment because you're, you know, you're able to continue to move the muscles of the body but also not loading that back in a way that could ex- exacerbate his, his symptoms. Last thing I wanted to uh, ask you about, Jeff, here was just the usage of um, doctors and stuff. A lot of times we're seeing, and I give them credit, of players and their agents going to outside doctors just to get a second opinion. That is the case here as well as, as the team was reaching out for a second opinion. In your experience, normally, or uh, for generic injuries, do you kind of have a, an opinion that re- reaffirms the first one, and it's just a team or an agency or whatever kind of doing their due diligence, or is it also maybe the factor of one guy says, "Let's take it easy." You want to make sure you know another guy doesn't believe surgery's involved, or there's another better course of action. You, you know, I, I think there's always room for for more information. There's no such thing as too much information. Yeah. And if you can go and talk to somebody else that might be able to provide us some additional insight or maybe some additional treatment options, go for it. You know, I I, I think there is kind of the fear of maybe maybe too many chefs in the kitchen and you start to get conflicting <laughs> uh, advice in regarding treatment and potential time out and that kind of thing, which is why you kind of have to collectively be on the same page as a medical staff. And like I said, the Indianapolis medical staff is is, is great about that, um, and, and I fully expect whatever the opinions are that are in the room, the best decision for his long-term health is going to be made. The one thing I was trying to uh, look into, and I did, I was curious about, I didn't think there was a connection, but remember he had his kidney removed and had that, that small mass and such. That was obviously to a back area. Would that lead to this? I was told by a doctor, no, not at all. They're, they're unrelated completely here. But I did notice, and, and this is the last thing I want to touch on, is you did tweet about this and say, I was concerned about an increase in stress fractures given this last year and really the last couple of years. Um, why is that in general? And is, is that the biggest thing maybe you're tracking across the league here entering a new season? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something I'm keeping an eye on. Stress-related injuries often occur when you have an increase in activity or a sharp decrease and then followed by a normal increase. And that's the problem is none of us, particularly NBA players, have had a normal schedule for the last 18 months. <laughs> and <laughs> these guys are creatures of habit. Yeah. They, they are used to the normal beats of an offseason, and we haven't had that. We've had you know rookies enter their for first professional season last year, having not played a game in nearly a year, we had, you know, some guys have 41 days off. We had some guys have more time off if they didn't go to the bubble. So everybody's under these constant variables. And I'm afraid that we don't really know how to handle that. Everyone's kind of moving in a different way. And I'm afraid we could see an increase in activity with a decreased amount of rest. And so maybe some of these stress related injuries start to pop up. And would that be more foot related stress fracture in a foot? Generally, yeah, foot, foot, lower back. Okay. Um, basically, anything where we're talking about lower, low, loading the body. So, gotcha. Your spine, your your hip, your knees, your your ankles, but generally the feet, the knee, sometimes, and then the back are generally the areas we tend to see these stress fractures occur. Very well, Jeff. You're the go-to source for all of us uh, in media, and I should be for fans as well when it comes to injuries. Thanks for the time. Thanks a lot, man.
My thanks again to Jeff Stotts, and thanks to you for listening to this podcast, for subscribing, and hopefully you consider subscribing to FieldhouseFiles.com. That's where all my best work goes up and goes up first. That will do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, and I'll talk to you again soon. Soon.